This is the Warden FinTech Podcast, and my name is Christoph Williams. Today, I'm joined by Colin Walsh, the CEO and co-founder of Varo Money, which provides mobile banking and personal financial management services. Varo is doing some really interesting things to redesign the retail banking experience, and we're excited to be talking with them. Colin, thank you for joining us. Hi, Christoph. Great to be here. I'm excited to share with you and your listeners a little bit more about what we're doing at Varo. So I'd like to start off with uh, what you did before starting Varo. You have a lot of experience in financial services. Could you tell us a bit about your background and your career? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, so I've been in financial services for quite some time. So I've actually the last two plus decades, you know, not without re- rewinding all the way to the beginning, um, I held a, a senior executive roles at Wells Fargo um, before I ended up going to the UK uh, to join Lloyd's Banking Group. And um, was the chairman of the Council of Mortgage Lenders, so I got to represent uh, everybody in the country to the government and the regulators of the time. So certainly a very interesting oh, time. And I, I left Lloyd's to go back to American Express, where actually I was at Amex early in my career, um, and I ran the card businesses across Europe. Um, so the various countries across Europe uh, reported to me at, at Amex, and then I was the chief exec of the uh, UK business. So um, certainly, again, another interesting big company job. But I think uh, through all of that, it certainly um, you know had its its fair share of interesting opportunities and challenges. But I felt um, a bit of a um, desire to try to do something even more transformational and innovative. And so when I left Amex, I came, I left to come back to the U.S. and to San Francisco, and uh, where I started advising a number of fintech companies with the aim towards deciding exactly what space I wanted to play in eventually, uh, which led to the creation of Varo um, a year ago. So how exactly did you decide to found Varo in the space that you're in? What was that process like? Yeah, well, after having spent so many years inside the traditional banking system, I felt probably uniquely qualified to understand um, where some of the shortcomings of the existing incumbents are um, and what some of the white spaces are. So I think if you step back and look at the traditional banking model, unfortunately, it's lost a lot of its relevance and impact for um, younger consumers. So if you think of kind of the millennial generation, and I hate to kind of use labels, but, you know, the kind of this next generation of consumers that are really coming into their own, um, I think on a number of fronts. So, you know, first off, these banks um, don't really view these consumers, particularly if they don't have a lot of money yet, as particularly profitable. So they tend to bear the brunt of a lot of the fees and charges, whether it's minimum balance fees or um, ATM fees or overdraft fees. I mean, just last year alone, the top uh, three banks earned over six billion dollars on ATM and overdraft fees. So, I mean, there's you know, and, and guess who's paying for that? You know, people that probably don't have very large balances in their in their checking accounts and savings accounts. Uh, so, I mean, that would be one thing. The second thing is, I think these folks are left with very little outlet uh, to go to for advice and guidance about their finances. So, you know, many there are millions of people that are at a very formative time of their life where they're forming their financial outlook and trying to achieve certain goals, and they really have nowhere to go for advice other than maybe friends or bloggers or family, but their bank is certainly not stepping up to give them any meaningful um, guidance in terms of how to manage their money. And I'd say lastly, um, you know, here you're talking about a generation of people who've grown up thinking about, you know, the benchmark is Google and Facebook and Amazon and Apple. Um, and these traditional banks, you know, offer incredibly complex products through 
sales channels, as our friends at Wells Fargo have uh, very helpfully demonstrated. And you know, these are people that are looking for you know, easy, intuitive, sort of mobile-first experiences, and they're just simply not getting them through the uh, traditional banks. And so that's what really led me to the belief that there is a better way for banking, of banking, for this whole generation of consumers. And so um, that had me thinking, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, what's the right approach? And there's a number of examples of really good innovation, and we can talk more about that, um, different companies out there. But um, they were a lot of them were very much point solutions and not really focused on the entire relationship. And so from my experience, it certainly led me to believe that you have to really go after that and earn that relationship with the customer. And if you do that, some great things can happen in terms of your ability to actually have information to help people better manage their finances, as well as opportunities to just deepen the relationship through um, addressing a variety of needs for the consumer. You've also written about sort of the need to prioritize these customers' financial outcomes ahead of processes and products. How exactly do you think about mediating between what the customer needs and your own internal practices and, and government regulation? Sure. Well, I mean, great question. And, you know, I guess the best way to do it is let's just use some real world examples. Um, so, you know, we've recruited in a group of what we call kind of customer advisors. So these are people that will, um, you know, hopefully become our future customers to help uh, give us, um, you know, their stories and also advice and guidance in terms of, you know, how we design our app and the types of features and, you know, how we communicate and so on and so forth. And so, you know, a few examples that I like to talk about. So there's a woman, uh, Megan, in Boston who, um, you know, is very, she's got a good job, but she's focused on her cash flow and making sure that at the end of the month, she's got enough money in her bank account to pay all her bills. And I think that's not a very uncommon um, scenario or use case for uh, lots of people kind of in their in their 20s and early 30s. And, um, and Megan likes to go out with her friends. You know, Megan likes to go to nice restaurants and have a good time. Um, unfortunately, her budget doesn't always allow that. And so with something like Varo, we can help um, Megan and many other people kind of identify that, first of all, that dining out is a category that they're probably um, maybe spending too much money in, or maybe, and we're not going to be judgmental. We'll just tell them how much they're spending and how much of their income and their overall expenditure it represents, and then give them the ability to kind of curb that spending or set a goal around it. If uh, last month Megan spent $500, um, but she really needs to only spend about 350 to be able to make sure she's got enough money in her bank account to pay all her bills, Borrow will help her um, kind of manage that in a, in a very kind of intuitive, easy way. And um, so once you get a hold of the app, you can, you can for yourself kind of see how some of that works. Another example would be someone out here in San Francisco, Sam, who um, unfortunately got left in the cold by his roommate um, and was stuck having to make two months of rent payments um, without a lot of contingency funds. And unfortunately, that, again, is another situation that happens to far too many people, whether it's around having to, you know, uh, make an extra rent payment or you get a flat tire or you've got a, your car breaks down. Well, Sam needed money and he had very few options in terms of where he could go to get that money. And um, with Varo, if he's, he has decent credit, you know, we would have a flexible line of credit that he could quickly access 
um, you know, get approved for and then have those funds that he needs without a lot of the stress and worry associated with suddenly having to um, smooth out his cash flow or get access to some additional funds. I mean, so that, that's another kind of example of, you know, trying to create a better customer outcome. Um, you know, a third example would be um, uh, somebody we spent a lot of time with early on um, trying to hear her stories and understand uh, kind of how she was approaching her money. And this was Sarah, who uh, was living in Portland. She graduated from Portland State and wanted to move to Los Angeles. Um, and she just, she was making money. She had a couple of jobs actually, but she didn't really know where she stood and how much money she had and whether she could really afford to move. And I mean, she's, she was, she's a smart woman, but she just didn't have the tools. And so she resorted to eating oatmeal all the time because she just wanted to make super sure that all her money was going in her savings account so that she could feel comfortable making the move and not having any hidden expenses that were going to become a problem for. So this is another example of somebody who just didn't really have anywhere to turn to. She didn't have the tools and she was kind of experiencing a lot of anxiety around something that was very important to her. Where with Varo, we could help her kind of see the money coming in and out, setting aside a goal um, and making sure that she had the funds that she needed to be able to do the thing that she wanted. So again, you know, going back to the question, you know, how do you prioritize customer outcomes? I mean, we start by just listening to our customers and understanding what are the things that are most important to them, um, and then designing both the product features, but you also raised a really good point around you know, having secure processes, having disciplined processes in place, also being mindful of regulation. Um, so in any of those cases, whether it's around you know, with Megan helping set up spend controls, with Sam giving him access to a line of credit, or Megan helping her you know, set and realize savings goals, all of these are done in a, um, you know, a very disciplined framework where we're using technology to help create these experiences, create these outcomes, but also, uh, you know, supported by, you know, uh, robust processes all within sort of um, the, the letter of the regulation as well. So I love the customer centrism and the human centered design that you're clearly putting to work here. And you've got a lot of personal touch, like obviously these stories, you're, you're really listening to what the customers want. I know you're still in beta, but how do you think about scaling this up and having a sort of flexible product that is able to listen to customers and is also able to, to provide services at scale? Sure. Again, another, another good question. Um, so we are well there's two things there is one is you know how do how do we scale and then how do we kind of not lose that human touch i think are probably the two nuances to the question you just asked um so in terms of of you know how are we planning to grow um we've made very little um investment in marketing at this point we've we're publishing a blog we're doing some testing on um, Facebook and Google, we've reached millions of customers already just through the messages that we're putting out there. And we've had lots of engagement with consumers in terms of the content that we've developed. Also people coming to our website, signing up for um, early access to the product. So I mean, we're very encouraged by the fact that the messages we're putting out there are definitely resonating with the people that we want them to resonate with. Um, you know, so that's, that's great in terms of, you know, I think there'll be people that will come into our front door. How do we continue to, you know, nurture those relationships, uh, deliver the service, you know, um, aligned with the vision of where we want to go? Um, and this is where, you know, unlike a lot of other smaller fintech players, we have the great fortune of 
having amazing backers, you know, and so having some of the capital resources to invest in um, service, both um, delivered through technology, through sort of bot and chat and email, but also service delivered through real humans as well. And so I think one of the things that will differentiate us over time is our ability to deliver our mission, um, you know, through a number of channels um, and invest in the uh, resources that we need to make it a great experience and really deliver against the promise. So I saw that recently you've been uh, signing some exciting new partners to provide a, a variety of these services. I think I saw there's the private label bank that you're with. You've got a payment processor, identity verification, mobile check deposit. Can you talk a little bit about your model and how you rely on third parties? Sure. So we are partnering with a number of third parties to really configure technologies that are already working well for customers. So you actually mentioned a couple of them, um, you know, our bank partner, who not only is the custodian of the deposits and, you know, a highly regulated industry, um, and they've got, you know, um, strong um, regulatory compliance capabilities, um, as do we ourselves, but, you know, really making sure that not only then they have FDIC insurance, but they also have the hooks into the ACH networks. Uh, so you know, instead of us having to rebuild that all from scratch, um, having a partner that can do that right out of the box is uh, you know certainly very helpful. Uh, we've also signed an agreement with Galileo to handle our payment processing. Again, these are you know it's transaction processing, it's authorizations, it's settlements, things that they do very well at scale. Um, and so for us to go and um, sort of invest in having to build all that uh, would take a lot of time and a lot of money. Um, you know, and then another partner of ours is Visa. You know, it has a global card network. And so, uh, again, you know, that's not a technology that would be easy to replicate. And, um, you know, and it allows us to very quickly start to deliver uh, services that uh, certainly from that standpoint in terms of payment and transaction processing is at parity with um, big incumbent banks. I think where we are able to add um, a whole other level to the experience is around um, the kind of mobile-first, human-centric approach that we talked about, um, being able to provide you know, interesting and meaningful insights to consumers, um, technologies that help really deepen relationship, as well as technologies to help from a risk and underwriting standpoint. So those are the areas where uh, you know, our technology focuses is being placed to be able to create some real um, special experiences and some differentiation. It seems like your competitive advantage is this kind of mobile first, delivering insights to customers. How do you think about drawing the line between the services that you will build in-house to support that mission and then how you would uh, use third-party suppliers? Yeah, so I think that you know, there's a little bit of how we think about it now and how we might think about it you know, several years from now. Um, certainly, the way we think about it in the short term is, um, you know, finding good partners with um, good capabilities that can allow us to accelerate our speed to market. Um, and then um, things that we would want to build ourselves would be things that are more focused on the enhancement of the relationship, helping consumers achieve outcomes, um, how we think about data, and obviously data security is hugely important to us, but using data to enhance that customer relationship are the areas that we'd probably be more focused on from uh, you know, where, we, where we place our investment in the technology side. And, and in addition to, you know, as you were saying, you know, some of the, our differentiators you know, being the mobile-first, customer-centric approach, I'd also say a, different, a couple other differentiators for us are 
the deep knowledge that we have about banking and the fact that you know I gave a little bit of my background and there are many other people on my team that have um, you know really uh, deep impressive backgrounds in banking and technology and design um, you know I think having that base of experience is a huge differentiator. Um, also, I mentioned earlier our investors, the fact that we have private equity investors that uh, you know, have invested in many, many companies around the world um, and have access to um, a lot of capital resource is a, you know, is a huge advantage. And then um, the other one I would say is just the way we're thinking about service. And we recognize that delivering a delightful experience is just as, as important as delivering a cool experience and something where people feel that they're being listened to and that we can help them solve problems um, is going to be really important. This is an aside for our listeners. Varro had a funding round this spring led by Warburg Pincus. So you, you definitely got some great private equity backers behind you. I wanted to, to think about uh, one of your products specifically. I, I saw that you allow a flexible line of credit. You mentioned that that was a product that came in useful to one of your customers who uh, caught out on the cold by his roommate. There's another firm in San Francisco that also thinks about having its customers' relationship be sort of the primary goal. SoFi is one of these lending-focused firms that is really trying to bring to bear a number of services and, and really deepen the relationship on a number of different factors. How do you differentiate your lending products, and how do you see yourself playing in the space, both with traditional lenders and peer-to-peer -peer loans? Sure. No. So I would say there's SoFi, which is run by two ex-Wells Fargo guys. We all work there at the same time. Um, there's Lending Club and Prosper on the marketplace lending side. I know those guys quite well also. Um, you know, and I think that they have approached it uh, in slightly different ways. Actually, SoFi is more of a balance sheet lender. They're uh, going after a very pristine kind of high credit quality customer, at least certainly initially that was their approach. Um, I think Lending Club and Prosper have taken more of a marketplace approach, so they work with the sponsor bank in their, um, in their loan origination process. Um, and then um, finance, you know, they have uh, uh, warehouse lines and other financing facilities in terms of where they ultimately place those loans. So, I mean, there's some that are peer, truly peer-to-peer -peer in terms of individuals, but a lot of that is actually institutional money. Um, but so for us, uh, and, and sorry, but for whether it's Prosper or it's Lending Club or um, or SoFi or Affirm is another one. I mean, all of them really start with lending as the um, as the start off point on the on the the customer offer and the product that they're delivering. Um, where I guess our point of departure is probably more around the core banking relationship and the deposit relationship because that's a lot harder in terms of earning trust. Um, from the customer, I mean, it's very easy to give money away. It's not hard to get a customer if you say, "I'm going to, I'm going to lend you money." Um, but for us, it's about um, you know creating the stickiness and then being able to lend to those customers because we know much more about them. We know kind of money moving in and out of their account. We understand what their needs are, um, and then we can use our technology. So, like our bot could recognize the fact that, you know, if Sam had an issue or whoever, any one of my kind of customers that, that might be wanting to use the platform, um, and if they, you know, credit qualified, could very simply, um, you know, communicate with them about this product and say, this is something that might help you and also help communicate to them ways to pay it back as quickly as possible 
so that they don't incur unnecessary um, interest charges. So I think our point of departure is probably more around the holistic banking relationship um, as opposed to a specific, uh, whether it's a student loan or a um, consolidation loan or a point of sale financing loan, which some of our um, other FinTech colleagues are offering. Um, we see the lending is very much integrated into the broader banking relationship. You mentioned the tools to help your customers pay back loans at a faster rate in a way that helps them save on interest. And I think that underscores one of the challenges as fintech firms search for revenue of balancing the customer centrism with sort of the need to produce revenue. And I'm wondering how you approach that challenge and I guess what other challenges you see in, as you look to pivot to revenue production. Sure. So there's a there's a few things in that I think that I could probably try to address. One is, um, you know, how do you maintain that real kind of customer centric approach um, as you're as you're growing, um, you know, and making sure that you're kind of staying true to the um, the mission of what you're trying to achieve in terms of better customer outcomes. And I would say that. Um, you know, some of it is a, a lot of it is about culture and making sure that early on that we we understand how we make decisions, how we make trade-offs. Um, I think the other part of it, which is much more practical, is that we have a diversified revenue model. So with Varo, um, we will make money when people swipe their debit card or make purchases online. We have a share of the float and the deposits that come into the bank, into the into our sponsor bank. Um, we'll have spread on um, on loans, um, and you know over time, if we allow other uh, third parties like say insurance or wealth management or other uh, product offers that we might not want to manufacture ourselves, you know there could be commission, there could be some commission revenue as well. So we have a fairly diversified revenue model, which um, if we're able to do things right and then also deliver our services is at a much lower cost because we're using more modern technologies, we don't have branches, we don't have uh, legacy infrastructure. Um, you know, it'll, it gives us you know, a potentially you know, two, 300 basis point advantage from a margin standpoint, um, you know, but our, you know, we have to manage it in a sustainable way. Uh, but I do believe that the approach we're taking, you know, while it's much more complex from an execution perspective, um, it's a much more robust, diversified model that doesn't require us to, you know, start to put in place lots of hidden fees and charges or, you know, very, very high interest rates and other things that could potentially, um, you know, be much more like what you're seeing as commonplace with some of the more uh, traditional players. So one quick thought, with the float that you're generating on deposit and your sort of low cost of overhead as an online-only bank, are you looking to compete on a high rate for savings accounts? Like, are you looking to translate that directly back into consumer savings? It's, it's a great question and one that we have not completely, you know, decided ourselves, but certainly something that we're looking at over time. I'm interested in other challenges that you see as mm -hmm. you as you build this out further. I don't know if fraud is a big concern for you. I know that that's a bigger issue for lenders, but I saw that you retained an identity verification firm. I'm wondering what your approach is to fraud and how big of a challenge you consider it to be. So let's just say we're putting a lot of time and attention to fraud. Um, so having run businesses in the deposit side as well as on the lending side, um, I'd say we're experienced industry practitioners that 
understand fraudsters get very excited when they see new banking startups. And so we're taking a number of steps to make it very clear that VARO is not going to be easy pickings for the fraudsters. So we're uh, putting a lot of effort into really understanding where those uh, vulnerabilities might be, um, because it is something that is all too common with any new um, uh, fintech startup, whether it's deposit taking or it's um, on the lending side. And the fact that we're both uh, means we've got to be doubly uh, aggressive in our, um, you know, kind of protection, both for the customer as well as the overall economics of the business. Are there other big challenges that we haven't covered but that are on your mind? I'd say it's not really a challenge, but you know, certainly an essential part of creating a successful business is around um, people and culture and finding great people and making it a terrific place to work where people come in every day and get excited about what they're doing. They feel connected to the vision and the mission of what we're doing. And I think you know, taking the time to really think about um, you know, what it's like to be part of the business and be part of a journey. Um, you know, I, I get told and have been told by many of the skeptics over the course of the last year that what we're doing is very ambitious and, you know, we continue to defy the odds and, you know, find great investors and line up great partners and build cool software and, you know, starting the, the customer acquisition journey. Um, but, you know, it takes um, a lot of leadership to to attract you know, great talent and people that can get really excited about this and feel like they're part of something really special. And, um, you know, when we are successful at, you know, delivering on the mission of starting to change people's financial lives and improve their relationship with their money, um, I think we can all feel really good about that. So I would say that's some, one of the things that I spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, just getting the right people in and um, creating an environment where they can thrive and be successful. And then ultimately our customers will be successful. This has been a really interesting conversation so far, but before we close it out, I wanted to ask you about sort of the broader B2C fintech space and interested to know if there's any technologies that seem really promising or, or any technologies that you think aren't going to catch on. Well, I would say, first off, there's been a lot of great innovation in fintech. You know, I admire the work of some of the early innovators, such as Mint and Simple, you know, then followed by companies like SoFi and Lending Club, Prosper, Digit. You know, they, all of them have done some really um, interesting things in terms of improving customer experiences, um, you know, really helping to raise the bar around how customers think about their money, um, you know, and providing greater access, whether it's to payments or lending or deposits. Um, you know, Dvaro is going to draw from all of those, you know, in terms of thinking about the best features from these companies. Um, I think we're going to be the first that's going to start to re-aggregate the banking relationship. So there's been a lot of um, you know, focus around the um, de-aggregation of banking into lots of little apps and various point solutions, but none of them have really emerged as a real credible alternative to a traditional bank account. So I think this is where, um, you know, VARA will start to um, introduce kind of a next wave of innovation. Um, and I think behind that will be certain technologies like AI um, and natural language processing. I mean, I think AI and NLP are going to play a big role in transforming banking and certainly something that we're finding in some of our early um, testing um, people really like and that the more intuitive and more helpful you can make it the better it is because it gives customers a much greater sense of control it's making their life easier um, and you know far more intuitive in terms of how they go about their day-to-day -day management of their finances i guess i would say i'm less certain that sort of some of these single point solution pfm apps um, are going to add a whole lot of value over the long term. I think both the 
um, traditional banks as well as some of the next generation players are going to simply integrate those into their solutions. Um, and I think once customers really start to enjoy a more fully integrated solution, they're going to probably stop using lots of different apps to manage their money. So that would be my, my longer term view on that situation. It sounds like some great takeaways. And I just wanted to thank you for your time today, Colin. I've had a great time talking to you, and we look forward to staying in touch. Thanks, Christoph. I enjoyed it as well. And if any of you want to learn more about Varo or sign up for early access, you can visit varomoney.com.